Welcome to Best Boys, a film podcast. An amateur film study podcast for the average Joe, the buffest buffs, and the cringiest bingers. I'm your host, JP, and I'm joined by my brother, professional Hollywood videographer. <laughs> Corey with a story. What's going on, everybody? Welcome Whoa. back. What's happening? What's crapping, my dude? Not much. Uh, a lot of work. Been a lot of... Uh things going on but i finally i think i talked about it like a long time ago but it's finally happening we're uh shooting on this upcoming wednesday the 10th uh rough pants it'll be a sequel to the last coveted smooth pants of critical claim world renown i can vouch for it smooth pants is good but it'll be a lot of fun. The only downside is the one actor that I like very much want to be in it is going to be in DC. So Tuesday I'm driving down to pick him up and then I'm going to take him on Thursday. Um, but other than that, everything seems to be coming together. We got uh, the denim cloaks came in yesterday. So that's exciting. I got to make some torches still. And that's all I'm going to give hints wise. Wow. Wow. This is going to be like, uh, I'm just imagining like the forest, the, the forest, but denim. Yeah, it's a little, kind of like that. Um, but I, we're going to shoot it out on the farm here. Um, I think it's just going to be, it's, I told everybody in the email who's working on it. There's like 10, there's like eight of us coming together um, that I want you to take this as seriously as I took, as me and Kevin took this writing it. Not at all. This is just, it's as dumb as you think it is, but we're going to shoot it like it's this super big thriller drama. Uh, the inspiration I have for this one's mother. Um, and a little bit of uh, that. I'm going to use that doll's sound. Uh, uh, sound the uh, from Akira, the doll's uh, soundtrack. Yeah, um, okay. Akira, that's going to. I'm sampling that to put for the score. It's I just, like that. It's it's it has a whole vibe to it that yeah, I'm just so yeah yeah. This sounds great. I mean, I'm super interested to see what happens with that. Yeah, I'm really excited. We're going to be shooting on uh, Kawa Evolutions. Uh, these are uh, they're a, the modern redo of uh, the old vintage Kawa Anamorphics. Um, they're super nice. I did a test with them a couple weeks ago. Um, and hopefully I can get my Komodo back in time. But if not, we'll just shoot on like helium or something. But it'll look good, at least. At the very least, as dumb as it is, it will look good. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I wanna. Uh, you gotta keep me updated. Keep us updated on uh, how that goes. Rough pants. Yeah. S- smooth pants Cold. too. Colon rough <laughs> pants. Is that or I'm, I'm torn between that or calling it rough pants colon smooth pants part two. Um, I, um you just be rough pants. I... It could just be rough pants. Yeah, that like I'm the, fine because with it's too. like smooth. You know, the smooth of the yeah. dead, the rough of the dead. And then exactly. you need exactly. some other texture. We need some other texture. <laughs> it's all of the pants. I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm just happy that um, our uh, our, our research and studies um, on this podcast have, uh, have been inspiring to you because that's what it's all about. Very much. Um, uh, after, after we watched Mother, that's what really sparked the the tones and themes for for Rough Pants. So, is, I, I mean, uh, is it gonna be? highly allegorical or just in like the way it's shot is, is where i I get, you, I get you i get you Warm i just and like moody. i'm just imagining smooth pants for being a metaphor for you know like the you know birth of christ or something yeah 
Oh, I mean, you just have to wait and see. Just have to wait and see what happens. Jesus is going to be boring. Or, or, or are you going to go the Teton route and there's going to be a baby made of denim? I didn't even think of that one. Yeah, you uh, got to get me in the writer's room, dog. Yeah, um, that's funny as fuck. Yeah, Kevin hilarious. has sex with the pants and gets pregnant. Yeah, it's yeah, Kevin's funny. pregnant, of course. And yeah. when he's like pregnant, belly's just dead. It's just dead. Yeah, <laughs> it just like melts with his flesh. Yeah, it's just a spool of Joanne fabric as the afterbirth. Yeah. Oh. 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 Yeah. The ball it's... of twine, <laughs> ball of uh, of string. But all right, <clears throat> we're here. We're here. Yeah. We came here to talk for about. Time. I well, I want to. We will talk about this more. Um, <laughs> but I want to talk about a couple of new movies that came out, and we are in the midst midst of new movie season um, right now. We got two this week. We got one next week that already come out, dropped, and came out. I'm not gonna ever spoil that yet. You got to stick stick around to the end of the episode. Yeah. But. Uh, <laughs> But then we got two of them, um, and I was gonna say, um, you know, after this this new year, we might wanna we might have to take a little slow down, you know, because this has just been a grueling pace. I've never been; I have probably not been in this movie theater this much, maybe ever. Um, yeah, and uh, and it's been great because it's em- it's mostly empty movie theaters, so I'm not even worried about any COVID aspects. Um, but yeah. That leads me to how I got to a theater, an empty theater, at 4.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. And, uh, and to watch a movie by Edgar Wright. One of my, I wouldn't say, not one of my favorite favorites, but definitely uh, someone that I've had a, a connection with, with film-wise for a very long time. Doomed from... Shaun of the Dead um, mm-hmm. and Hot Fuzz, but then again uh, later in life with uh, Scott Pilgrim. Uh, Scott Pilgrim is for a while was one of my f- mm-hmm. probably top five movies ever. Uh, definitely, just the style of it and everything. I also enjoyed. Oh, sure. I also enjoyed Baby Driver, um, which is not mm-hmm. aged as well. I remember we, everyone liked it when it came out. But there was, I had a couple friends that didn't, but mostly everyone was very positive on it. And then as time went on, I saw more and more sour takes and bad takes. And uh, yeah, I, I got it was just hot, heavy pastiche. I really liked the music video movie thing because I was, I did that as a kid, like where I'd like mm. walk around and and listen to headphones, and it made me felt like I was in a music video and. I liked a lot of the movie, but now looking back on it, I've only seen it once, and thinking back on it, there are some things that might not have aged as well. Um, but yeah, so before we get into Last Night in Soho, what is your uh, history with uh, Edgar Wright's filmography? Um, well, I mean, for starters, some of his movies are in my top like 10 all-time comedies for sure. Like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz are classics for a while. but Just um, comedies. As far as comedy, Scott Pilgrim, on the other hand, is definitely in my top ten all time. I've seen that movie a hundred times. It's it's just so like perfect for what it's trying to be, and uh, and it's a shame that it it didn't do well at the box office. But uh, I, on the other hand, did not like Baby Driver. Um, I saw it like a year or two after it had come out, and I just like the music video part as a music video director, super cool. 
awesome, but it just wasn't enough to sustain me for like an hour and a half. Um, it just kind of got, I got bored with it, and that which leads us into last night in Soho, which I feel like this is more of his going in less of his normal style direction and and trying to branch out into something more, I guess, clinical maybe. Um, he did a, a documentary on the Sparks Brothers earlier in the year, and we did talk about possibly doing that after we found out that they did the music for uh, Annette. Um, mm. And, yeah, I was debated on doing an episode of this and Sparks Brothers, but I thought that that it was, you know, maybe not big enough or whatever, and I, I'm definitely going to watch that movie by myself, but... Uh, Mm. But um, but yeah, I'm just looking at his filmography here, and I've uh, very you know I've seen almost all I've seen all almost all of these movies, and I've seen many of them several times. Shaun of the Dead, mm. Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim. I've seen The World's End a couple times. Ant Man, I know. Great movie. I know Ant Man isn't his uh, in name, but you could see his his DNA all over it. Um, mm. And uh, and uh, yeah, Baby Driver. I've only seen once. That's the one I've only seen once. But he's got a new film out, and it's called Last Night in Soho, and it stars Thomas and McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, Matt Smith, uh, Diana Rigg, and Terrence Stamp. Um, the cast, just so, while I'm mentioning it, was, is uh, one of the things that carries this film. Um, but I am just going to get get out right with it that this is a significant step down for me. And I have been seeing some discussions um, floating around the internet. The, the, the movie is getting divisive takes. I have seen people, I do see people like it. Um, I do see people not like it. The reviews are, are more positive than not, but still divided. Um, and, uh, and I see people looking at his filmography in a little bit of a different way now after these last two efforts um, and then looking at the whole picture. So before we get mm. into that, because that's how, what I want to that's what I want to wrap this whole thing this review up with, what did you think about last night in Soho? I have to agree. I definitely feel this is a, this is a downward trajectory. Um, I it is just it didn't feel like an Edgar Wright movie. Like nothing. I I feel like I went in there with some expectations, and now I knew this wasn't going to be a comedy, uh, in the same vein of his previous films. But I was excited to see him do more of a thriller take on this, and it just kind of, it's just, it it is what it is. It's it's not a bad movie by any means, but I just I wouldn't watch it again. I I spent most of my time kind of bored. I spent my. I spent most of my time waiting for this movie to be over. Uh, and it's a shame. And it's, you know, and it wasn't because of, uh, you know, people talk about being bored during these, you know, slow burn, A24-ish movies. This is not a slow burn. Um, it's has slow moments, but it's, it's really like things are happening and it does move to the next thing. It just feels like an eternity. Every scene mm. feels really long. It feels like there's a lot of scenes. Um, that don't really, that just kind of, uh, multiple, it gets like redundant, I think in like the either beginning of the third act, end of the second act. I don't, I'm never good at like demarcating those, but it's around that point in the two thirds point of the movie. I was just like, 
we could just move right on to the end if you wanted to. Does this movie need... Did, I think the two hours, uh, hour and 56 minutes, uh, I think that really hurt it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think it hurts it. I think this movie could have been 10, 15 minutes less. Um, and mm-hmm. I could honestly, I think it could have been an hour and a half. Um, mm-hmm. I think you cut that end, the ending off, the ending ending, uh, off and just leave it more ambiguous. I think, uh, there's a couple scenes with, you know, her running and screaming from things. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he, she, how many times are people almost going to get hit by a taxi? I know that it's trying to go for a motif, but I'm not, oh, because the taxi, okay, the, all right, sorry. Getting in too getting in too deep. Let me let me run it back a little bit because the theme <laughs> of this movie, and this is what's gonna you know make or break it for you, and not in the way that you think, um, is that this is a very feminist uh, story, um, and that you know this is like a woman's perspective. It's a horror movie about what uh, you know what women have to deal with in terms of being creeped creeped on crept on in terms of being you know um and uh, sexually trafficked or pimped uh quote unquote um and and, you know the dangers of you know romanticizing the past other than the feminist line it is anti-nostalgia and these are themes are fine um like some people are having you know are gonna automatically have an issue with a white man trying to tell a story like this um, if it's not done very, very well. And this movie, in my opinion, is not done very, very well. It's very ham... I, maybe not very, but it's definitely ham-fisted. It's definitely like beating you with some of these themes. And to the point where it doesn't become as... It's not very profound. Um, you know, it's... it's. Uh, but yeah, what do you what do you think about any of that? I it it just came off to me as just very traditional fish out of water for 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 most of it and uh, I feel like it it just took the generic beats with it where it's just like um cuz you don't really follow like during the dream sequences you have these uh, um where you're seeing uh, Anya Taylor-Joy's character being like pimped out and stuff but you don't like it just shows it repetitive over and over again. Like this is the same thing. This is this is all that's happening. You don't really. It doesn't really create a like anything like new to feel about it because by the end of seeing like the hundredth time of the the her in the bedroom with the gentleman callers uh, or when you see like those the gentleman yeah, caller ghosts. It's just throughout. so like, much. It's so much just, of that. I'm desensitized to it and I just don't care. Uh, I, it's yeah. less less could be so much more i think it's it's mm. this is a case of where you showed so much that it took it takes away from it and um yeah uh let me let me give the viewers the a quick a brief synopsis so um eloise uh, ellie turner is the name of her character played by thomas and mckenzie um who you may remember from jojo rabbit oh, or earlier episode and um She's obsessed with the 60s. She lives with her grandma. We know that her mother died, and we find out pretty quickly that she killed herself um, and when she moved to uh, London. Oh, we also learn very quickly that she sees her mother's ghost in mirrors, which doesn't come up very often. Uh, yeah, very unexplained. Often. They do, like, uh, the mirror thing with Anya Taylor-Joy and her in the dream world where she's, like, watching her through a mirror, and then they see the same in the mirror. Um, but basically she's, uh, 
There's a sequence in the beginning where she's moving into the dorm and her, her roommate is a party girl and they don't get along and she, you know, just leaves. And there's like a party in the dorm. I've never seen a party in a dorm like this. It was weird, though, to think about freshmen being old enough to drink. Uh, yeah. Uh, because it's uh, in the UK. It's 18. I actually Googled it um, and uh, the drinking age is 18. Um. And yeah, so I've seen this story before. Like you said, this whole beginning part, I was fine with it. I liked the 60s stuff, uh, like the music mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, yeah. I, di- I liked it at this point. By the end of the movie, I'm n- I start to see a bigger picture with the, how he uses licensed music, um, especially when you think about Baby Driver, uh, which is literally all licensed music. Uh, like it just carry. That's like one of the carrying things of yeah. Baby Driver. I think this uses it as a crutch as well. Like the visuals do. Like all the old vi- dream visuals are on point. Like seeing mm-hmm. um, the street and and all the cars and the people and the ever hovering stress. Like it's not like any of that is like the the period stuff looks bad. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's just that. Uh, I don't know, and it's like the the over the the red color is very heavy in the dreams, and it gets to a point where, um, it starts to like kind of take away, like kind of take away from what you're seeing. Like I don't even know what I'm seeing, like it's just red and blood and the and the red everything's colored red and mm-hmm. um, but uh, but she ends up moving in with a, an old lady who's renting a room, and when she moves in, she starts having these weird dreams um about at first they were cool and fun and she was taken back to the 60s and she's on your taylor joy's character is trying to break into the entertainment business you know be a singer and a dancer and she finds out that matt smith's character uh is uh you know a manager he manages girls uh female singers at least that's what we're told at first and then we find out that he's also he is actually a, a pimp um and uh, so, like, the first dream, we don't learn that. And then the second dream is when it sets up that, that the pimping stuff. And then we kind of just stay in that for the... There's no more fun in the 60s for the rest of the movie, which is cool. Like, I get it. Like, mm-hmm. you're looking back and you're like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. And then you find out that the 60s had a lot of fucked up shit going on. And uh, it's not, you know, when we think about the past, it is sanitized. Um, or we only th- we only get we only know what we see through movies and music and pop culture that has survived the time, but mm-hmm. you know you didn't live there and you don't know you didn't know what is you know the same bad shit that happened some of the same bad shit that still happens now happened then and some of it was worse, um, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah that's kind of what that's what sets it up and then we kind of she goes descends into madness from there, um, but yeah what what do you think? I have I've written down my biggest gripes with the movie um and I th- my number one is uh Nightmare on Elm Street question mark because I, I I wrote that just because it they hint at it with like the Johnny Depp like, like the Johnny Depp scene Oh, when she gets the hickey. Oh, and yeah. Like the, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, you they and then just, you're right. They never they banded it and it never no, comes back. Exa- yeah, so that could have been worked upon a little bit cooler. I feel like if you're going to do that as a nod, I guess, but you also just didn't do anything else interesting enough beyond... Like, if it was just like, hey, these dream sequences and the cool shots with the mirror and whether or not she's in the mirror or is Anya Taylor-Joy in those moments, like, 
I they put all their eggs in that basket, and I just uh, I don't I don't think it works. Uh, I also have that it's a um, I appreciate subverting the expectation of I thought this was going to be more of like a detective thing, like she's going to start researching all this murder and stuff, and she does for like a, a like yeah half, a quarter of a scene. Uh, and that's cool that you you took a, that you didn't have it go there, but then you do absolutely nothing with her at all. She just has a mental breakdown in every scene. Yeah, that's and, the problem. She, she it doesn't build on anything. There's like the like mystery. She just the solving of the yeah, mystery. Was, yeah, she just she mental she mentally stumble like breakdown stumbles her way to the end just by coincidence and things. Because every time she tries to do something detective-y, she's wrong and then just has a mental breakdown or goes into psychosis or whatever, has or falls asleep or has the dream sequence things happen. And it's just like, um, I don't I don't care. I, she, I feel like I'm just, I don't know. Like there's, I'm not rooting for her because she's not doing anything to be rooting for other than just like falsely accusing an old man of being a murderer and... um realizing that she can't handle london but. yeah yeah and it just kind of keeps beating that's the same things over the head the day the day life um ellie has a breakdown in the night mm. life we have a dream about um anya uh anya taylor joy's character sandy um being pimped out like it's just that for the whole middle of the movie and then mm. so there's a particular scene that, and she also gets a job at a bar, and it's kind of not a big thing, but but she keeps interacting with this old guy, and she starts to think that the old guy is Matt Smith, um, Jack is the character's mm. name. Um, so th- that's all happening in the middle part of the movie too, but it's like not enough, and it's not interesting because there's nothing to find out. She just gets like mm. random bits of information. She just like talks to him, and he disappears. And then she gets some an information after he, you know, from the bar mm. people later. Um, but my biggest issue with the the scene wise, the worst scene of the movie, is after the Halloween party. Which actually, the Halloween party was probably the part one of the parts I liked the most. Um, weird that these these young ass people are listening to. Uh, 60s music, but then also like Susie Sue and like 80s stuff, and like it was all old. Everything was mm-hmm. real old. I mean, these kids are freshmen; they're gonna be listening to some rap, uh, <laughs> even if it is an artsy fartsy school. You know, everybody listen. You know, everyone that is young listens at least a little bit. Um, especially but, at the club. But the Halloween party was fine. I liked that, and then like the faces, the ghost face people, kind of remind me of Doctor Who a little bit. Uh, coincidentally, since Matt Smith is a a doctor, uh, a former doctor, and uh, th- so John, the love interest of Ellie, um, who's a stu- also a fellow student. Me also, I saw a really funny letterbox comment that said this fashion school has more straight men. Than uh, than uh, than anyone in real life or something like that, uh, and I thought that was funny. But John uh, is he was in the dorm. They lived in the dorm originally, and she moved out. But then they kind of kept connecting, and he's you know kind of following her around a little bit. And after the Halloween party, she's like, "I gotta stay up. I don't want to sleep." Like the the uh, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street thing. And he's like, yeah. he like he like looks at the camera. He's like. I'll keep you up. Like the classic joke. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, yeah. 
And it's weird. That was fine. <laughs> weird, but fine. They go back. They start. She's like, you got to be quiet. You know, the old lady, uh, the old lady doesn't want me no to bring any boys eight. here. And uh, so whatever. They're making out and whatnot. And she has a vision and freaks out. And our poor boy, John, it doesn't know what to do. This is like, I was like, this has got to be so traumatizing. Yeah. Like, this white girl's freaking out. <laughs> and then she's calling for the grandma, and the grandma's talking about police. Like, that'd be the worst case scenario. He could die tonight. Oh, he could for die. For sure. Uh, Granted, it's not in America, but it's, it, it might be different over there. But A still. little bit, but still, there's like, some of that. Still some of that dynamic there. Yeah. And it's... the old lady somehow busts down a locked door, uh, kicks down a locked door, this 80-year-old, 90-year-old lady. And, uh, and uh, yeah, he gets all fucked up and leaves. Okay, all right, so whatever. That and all he happens. walks on broken glass. Walks on broken glass, yeah. never comes up again. Fine. Never, yeah, whatever. Sure, 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 sure. But then he still wants to be with Ellie after that. I would never want to see you again. I would never, ever, ever want to see you again. I don't care how cute you are or fun you are or, or hip you are. I don't. You're crazy and I'm out of here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it, 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 none of it made sense. He was a nice guy. I, oh, I he was nice. It, the the actor's name but... is Michael Ajao. I don't know if I said that. Um, but uh, yeah, his performance was fine. Uh, but the character was just very underwritten. Um, mm. Had not just nothing except to be the love interest. And the, like, these he, are the, the one-dimensional characters like that are what make this feel generic. Um, yeah, he exists so that uh, he can open the door to distract the old lady to cause the house coming on fire. Like that's his sole purpose in this movie is to just be a distraction at the end of the movie. He did um, stop her from killing Jacasa. <clears throat> Oh, that too. Yeah. Oh my God. I was like, was yeah. Like, if that happened, she'd be going to prison. Yeah. Like, as much as Jocasta's a bitch, it's not gonna just get actually. Like, well, I think they try to imply <laughs> that John talked to Jocasta afterward, or like made her chill out or something. Um. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Where did she even get that machete thing? What do you mean? Didn't she try to chop Jacosta's head with a machete in the oh, library? She had giant, she had giant fashion scissors. That's what it was. That's like what it the, was. Or fab, fabric scissors. Yeah, fabric scissors. Big yeah, shears. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, how did he have the lightning reflexes to stop her like an inch away from Jacosta's eye? Yeah, it was um, dumb. Oh, I mean, I, like that's the thing. If it was an Edgar, any other Edgar Wright movie, that's a comedy. That's that's fine. I'm into that. That makes that's that fits his style. But in this, it just feels like so much trying to be. A, like a, a serious thriller that just has some some Edgar Wright levity in it, and it just does not work. So then, here's the other here's the other issue: the jump scares. Oh God, they were so bad. They weren't one. I'm I'm a hater of jump scares. I I will like it if it's done well once or twice in a maybe not even twice. Just like if you do it once and you get me, good for you. But if you rely on jump scares <laughs> as a crutch to make your movie scary because it is not scary. This movie is not is zero percent scary. None. Mm, it's not even I don't even think it's a thriller. It, really. it, it it yeah, it's barely barely even a thriller. It's a it's just like a supernatural drama. Um and uh yeah 
not scary at all, but then you got a jump scare, which they weren't a half of them I missed because I was bored. So I was like just like zoning out. And uh but a couple of them are just not yeah, they weren't even that good. No, I mean the only ones that stick out for me was just the taxis because it happened like four times. Uh, but um, like one time, uh, someone grabbed her hand. She had like a dream within a dream, and they like grabbed her hand. Oh uh, yeah, she was yeah, going like for those the, ones. the alarm. There was one in, towards the end, I think. Um, yeah, this movie was just such a disappointment. It seemed like like the previews made uh, like the cast is great. Um, and on paper, this should be great, and then and I. Like, and I'm not like the not. score. Like we're hating on it. My score not mm. might not be quite as bad as how bad I'm hating on it. But it's just the fact that I was so disappointed, um, mm. and so bored. Just so just waiting for the end when you know what the end is and you're just waiting for it to happen. So, uh, is there anything that you want to talk about before we talk about the twist? I, I was just gonna say that I, this is one of the few movies I saw the trailer beforehand, and my exactly how I feel about the movie after seeing it was exactly how I felt after seeing the trailer. As I, I felt like I knew what this was gonna be. It just feel it's like um, it's like when Kevin Smith did Cop Out, or it's just like it just feels like a generic thing that. Uh, I think the trailer was fine. Was I thought the trailer. Me. I was interested in it from the trailer. It's, um, I was I didn't get anything out of it. I was just it it just like watching it. I just said just doesn't not for me. Doesn't look like it's for me, and um, and it wasn't, which is fine. But it's not a bad movie. Like um, we were saying earlier that uh, like Kylie liked it, but it's nah. I um well, there's a lot there as much. It's convention is most conventionally shot film for sure. Um, mm-hmm. but there's a, some, the 60 sequences do employ, uh, some techniques. Uh, there's like that kaleidoscope thing. It's not, it's not, mm. it's like a picture and a picture and a picture. And there's like a soft yeah, little yeah, thing yeah. around it. It's um, like they shot through like a prism. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what it is. Um, that, I like that kind of stuff. There's definitely influence from, uh, your Roman Pulaski, uh, Polanski's, your, uh, um, Brian De Palma's. Um, Stanley Kubrick, like you're seeing the those big '60s director styles pop up, um, mm. but this is just so saccharine, and even though it was about dark shit, and they wanted to really remind you, this is dark, this is dark. As much as it's fun and silly, it's dark, and um, but there's like something about those old films, um, like those films are made by real ass fucked up perverts. Uh, you know, like I hate to say yeah. it, like they're they're they made great films, but they also were, were fucked up perverts. At least Polanski is definitely, but Kubrick is is notorious for you know being a uh, terrorizer on set, and like there's just this grit, and it shows in the in the products um, mm-hmm. that this just doesn't have. Um, when you're trying to emulate something like that, and I guess you're trying to like mm-hmm. repurpose it. He's trying to take those kinds of you know that kind of art and make it about a story about a girl who's you know fighting for her life in the city of london um and you know and all the the bad things you know creepy men and um and uh, assholes and uh and just danger all around you and um so i get i get the idea and i get there's so much of this that Work, like either works or could work it's not it's just that it ended up in a bland boring 
saccharine generic movie. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> she just need like she there just needed to be some form of a threat in the real world maybe to to add more stakes to it cuz like they they abandoned the the Freddy Krueger shit after the the hickey. So it's just like it, and there's nothing in the real world that was going to get her and it, it was hard to tell whether like if she dies in these like little mental breakdown sequences will she die for real or not but i don't know i i, I have another note here written down that's it, it's um i call it the horror disney or disney horror lighting which is um like if you look at like the more creepy scenes on like the pirates of the caribbean movies or anything where disney tries to have like a horror look where everything is just still colorful and even though things are getting dark into like letting things go to black in the lighting it's still just looks too vibrant and poppy and and that's what a lot of this movie is to me is just like the um it just doesn't feel moody it just feels the, mo- like the majority of the mo- all the horror stuff looks like is it looks like the red you know <clears throat> like it's um <clears throat> it's all... I, I mean a lot of the stuff in the 60s too even beyond the red it's always just there's just big bright vibrant lights around somewhere um or like anyone's time someone's coming down like a stairwell or staircase or, or, or walking outside or there even though the shot where like uh, at the end where ellie's trying to catch up to anya taylor joy walking away through like through the mob of creepy zombies but all you have is this just vibrant radiating yellow light lighting up everything um and it just it i feel like it doesn't make it horror moody it just makes it feel like like uh like almost music video poppy creepy but not creepy. I don't know. It's 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 my Disney horror lighting. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I I like the. I would say the fashion looked really good. There are seats. Mm-hmm. But you know what? And I love that we did these two movies together. And I was wait, trying to hold off because on comparing. But these are two movies heavily inspired by the '60s. And uh, and the French Dispatch feels '60s and everything. Yeah everything is the attention to details perfect and like the costuming is good and the mm-hmm. and whatnot and that and that street the one street that they use multiple times looks good but beyond that it's just like that feels like a facade it feels mm-hmm. like uh, um you know the front of the set whereas you know uh, the french dispatch is blocked like a stage play shot like a stage play in many parts of it but somehow it just feels much more authentic. You know, I feel like I'm watching something mm. older, um, but new at the same uh, time. Yeah, and that's a credit to just the cinematography that uh, like Wes Anderson and uh, goes for with that, because every having things set up like a diorama or a stage play, uh, you can if everything is like that, it's very easy to become immersed in it and feel li- like it's lived in and feel real. And that that's that's he Wes Anderson is so good at that stuff. Yeah, this is uh, this movie was um very generically shot. It was it's just yeah, it's it could have been something. Like you I can see the style in there if it was just turned up. I could see um I could see mm-hmm. the you know the vibes. Um but like you got to do more than just put people in a costume and play a, lo- a fuckload of 60s music. Uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's just non-stop, um, non-stop. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't really know what else to say about it. Cause I, I, I feel like we hit most of the beats, um, yeah. but just the ending. Yeah. Okay. We didn't bring up the twist. So the twist 
Do you want to? Do you want to say the twist? Yeah, actually, you want? I feel like I'm always uh, sure. the reviewer. The uh, so the twist in this one is Ellie fails out of fashion school. No, it's uh, that <laughs> bad hair day. <laughs> the, the twist is that um, the old lady that she moves in with, Mrs. Collins, is actually Sandy, and Sandy wasn't murdered. Sandy was murdering boys, or, or, or the gentleman Johns. Collins. Johns. Um, her Johns. Yeah, that, that's interesting that they made uh, Michael Giles' character named John when John is a term for, uh, you know, yeah. clients, sexual clients. Um, oh, and John said he could keep her up all night. Yeah, that might have been something, but not so many if, layers. If it's there, it's not good. If that's real, it's not good. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so Diana Rigg is is Sandy, aka Alexandra, um, and you could see it coming a mile away. Um, Diana mm. Rigg is a fine is a fine performance. Uh, you may remember her as Lady Olena from Game of Thrones, uh, who's a great character, and uh, and she's got a little of that energy, but it's whatever. Um, it's just, it just feels nothing. You feel nothing from it. You saw it coming a mile away, and you're you're just waiting for this old lady to die so that we can end the movie. And and it doesn't end after that, actually. And I'm really excited to talk about the ending ending. But uh, essentially, <laughs> um, John shows up, gets stabbed. Um, Ellie has to save. <laughs> Ellie has to kill uh, the old lady and save him. And uh, Matt Smith's ghost shows up and and whatever slaps her in the face. I would which say yes. <laughs> weird, weird. Also, I don't know what that was going for. And. It- it was fine. And none of this yeah. happens quickly either. This is oh, it's very all much so long. It's yeah, in like over the course of like 15, like 20 minutes. Oh, and this was a clock watcher. And then that and when you yes, have a clock yes. watcher of a movie, it feels even longer because every mm-hmm. 10 minutes is like a milestone. Just like tick, tick. It's just like I got a little check mark yeah. every 10 minutes. Because that's what every this time movie. a new scene. Yeah. Every, yeah. every time a scene ends, but then you can't even. Sometimes I just can't even wait for the scene to end because it's an eternity. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, what I was gonna say was when a scene starts and you're you're wondering, is this the last scene? Is this it? And then it's not. And then but you, like the you next look at the time and you're like, there's the still one, like right? 25 minutes left. <laughs> I, I I'm always trying. To, it's always like the meme of the lady doing calculations in my head to like, okay, so I got here at this time. There was about 15 minutes of previews. If the yeah. uh, movie is an hour and 56 <laughs> minutes long, with about five to 10 minutes of credits, uh, we're looking at about 25 minutes of film left. And I, I kept trying to like reason with myself like no no can't be that long we've this no, the, cre- the credits are like 10 minutes <laughs> this can't be that long we have this can't be this much movie left and uh yeah i was wrong every time uh wrong every time so i'm gonna i'm ready to talk about the ending so with the ending ending we find out ellie has a fashion show and um it's of the dresses that she's been working on throughout the movie which we did not mention um the, but the dresses worse. they look way worse <laughs> they look so much worse than the one she was designing yes they look so wor- they're trying to be like high fashion and they so like one of them reminds me of like uh like violet from uh when she's blown up in uh, willy wonka <laughs> like it looks like a big blueberry um yeah. and like the yeah they just, and I'm not no fa- I'm not a fashion expert so somebody out there can can explain to me why that's good I but uh they did not the look good. Outfit, 
the one outfit is literally the same as Anya Taylor-Joy's, but they take out the, the gold piece here and instead make duct tape straps. Yeah. And it just it looks, it looks terrible. looks really, really and, bad. And everyone in the crowd is just like, you're killing it, Ellie. This looks you're so good. You're killing it, girl. I'm proud of you. <laughs> go. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, uh, they're not good. I don't know. Maybe um, that's the, the point, is that fashion is, can be dumb. And no, I don't, I don't think so. And so then, and then she goes back, and she's her grandma's there, and her new boyfriend's there. And, and she looks in the and, and Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi in there, just waiting. And Anakin's there. Oh, like, man. You that, did it, that's Ellie. That's exactly how this ends. You yeah. did it, Ellie. You destroyed the Death Star. <laughs> you destroyed oh the gosh. second Death Star, Ellie. That's oh. exactly how this movie ends, too. I guess so like this is just that the is... cherry on top that this movie is terrible. That oh, the man. ghost mom just... that did not appear since the beginning of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> You're just basically Obi Wan. Yeah. You're not even Obi Wan because Obi Wan got a whole movie. Yeah. Oh, this man. means nothing. Oh man! Yeah, so yeah, bad. and it, and then Anya Taylor Joy's character is in the mirror too at one point, and like, is it to me? And then Ellie looks scared, so it's just like, what is she gonna be haunted by her? Or I thought you guys like made up when the old lady died and everything was cool. Like, what? I don't understand. I don't understand. Yeah, you you set her free. You set her free from her her corporeal form. <laughs> No, um, I didn't realize her metachlorian count was so high. Yeah, yeah. Yes, she is a force ghost. Uh, so what uh, are you giving last night in Soho? I walked out of it saying a two and a half. I wanted to um, walk out of it. I said, I, it wasn't I really that bad, but it was just I was so bored. I was just like, man, this is such a waste of my time. Um, I also uh, yeah, I, gave it a two and a half as well. Um because it wasn't terrible that just got, I hated it. I did not connect with this movie in any yeah. way. I could recognize that it wasn't, you know, <clears throat> like The Expendables it was a terrible made movie. Whereas mm -hmm. this was a better made movie, but uh, I was more bored. Yeah. It's Expendables sucked. Like, I don't get me wrong. I had a better time with Expendables than this. But I gave that like a two, I think. I mean, I I mean it depends. I I grade these on based on how I they spoke like connected to me and how. No, I that's feel why I gave it two and a half as well. Even though I was so mad, dude. Like for how mad I was, I should have gave this. I should give this a two at least. Yeah, I'm doing two and a half because there is some like good stuff. The cast is good. When I think the performances. Properly. Yeah, like, that's what I I was here just to watch a bunch of actors I like, um, do work with bad material. Um, mm -hmm. I man, I've been a member member of the Matt Smith fan club for a long time. He's an excellent actor on Doctor Who, and he's all he's. I'm glad he had a career resurgence with The Crown. Um, he should he should yeah. have been a movie star. Um, uh, apparently they were they were talking about making him young Palpatine for the Revenge of Rise of the Skywalker, and they cut the character and decided to do, go back with Ian McDiarmid. Um, and I thought that would be cool. And yeah, uh, yeah. About Matt Smith, did you notice that his haircut, he had his ears cut out so far back on both sides, it was like just 
it looked really weird when you looked at the side of his head. He is like both handsome and terrifying to look at in this. Yeah, I've thought that since uh, <clears throat> Doctor Who, but it seems to have only gotten a little bit worse with age because he's like his features are a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper set, and he's got like yeah. the lot forehead lines. He's forty years old. He's probably like thirty eight or thirty nine when they shot this, so he's mm. a decent amount older than Anya Taylor Joy. Um, but I was, it was fine. It was fine. Um, but yeah, he is a very, he's a very uncanny face. I think that's what yeah. it is. Uncanny handsome is how I would describe it. And maybe that's why he didn't become a big star as people were weird about his face. Um, but, yes. uh, he was the most popular, uh, uh, Doctor Who with, as far as the ladies or, you know, people are being attracted to him. David Tennant was too, but they just upped it by making it younger. But all right. This is not a Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> um, but all right. Do you have anything else you want to say about this before we move on? No. I had a note about the beginning of the movie is how it opens is essentially a uh, a metaphor for the rest of the film because it just opens very small and not big and not like I didn't mind the board. opening. So I just like it opens on a hallway with her walking in. And just nothing felt grand. Oh, nothing you know what like... I did like about it is that I couldn't tell if that was Anya Taylor Joy or Thomas and Mackenzie, and it looked like Anya Taylor Joy, and then it like focused, it, like she like walked closer, and it was Thomas and Mackenzie. Yeah. I thought that was cool. I did want to mention that. Um, oh, I did want to mention that the beginning sequence of the dorm with the it's very Mean Girls. It's just very. Yeah. It never. It doesn't really come back past. Um, that she she might have been drugged at the Halloween party, which we don't really even know. Um, yeah, they never okay. reveal it. It's it's a lot of ha of uh, limp plots that don't that aren't followed through with, like B yeah. plots or not, we're not B pl Z plots. Is that what they call those? I guess it's just yeah. It's it's like uh it was like Lost. We're just setting up things to never answer intentionally. Yeah, but that's a you have at least but, a TV show to. Yeah. shit off a season, <laughs> two seasons from something. Um, this is just booty cheeks. Um, but all right, <laughs> all right. Let's talk about onto something movie. completely different. Let's talk about a good movie. The French. I love this. Dispatch, directed by Wes Anderson. The, this is a fucking loaded cast. Uh, Benicio del Toro, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Leia Sado. Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, uh, Jeffrey Wright, Lina Kudry, uh, and Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Angelica Huston narrates in the beginning. Um, I think, uh, isn't Elizabeth uh, Moss in this? Isn't that her name? She's she's in for like a split second, I think. She's in uh, the beginning and the end for brief, very mm. brief, and she has like no lines. Um, there's fucking uh, Jason Schwartzman. There's Fisher Stevens. Uh, there's so many, so many actors. Um, Jarvis Cocker uh, is the singer of one of my favorite bands, Pulp. And apparently he did the soundtrack for the film. And they reference him as a fictional um, band called Tip Top. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I thought that was super cool. Um, everyone kills it in this. Everyone is at like the, maybe not the height of their powers, maybe, but this is just a bunch of great artists coming together um, and making something special. Uh, it, it's structured like an anthology, I would say. Um, it's, it's supposed to be a visual version of a kind of like journalist 
almanac kind of thing um, where you're getting these ra random articles that they're supposed to be uh, categorized, genre, but they these guys, these writers just kind of write whatever about whatever they want, um, and they kind of make it, they kind of shoehorn it into these categories, um, and it feels like. It really feels like that, like a New Yorker. The New Yorker is probably the most popular version of something like that that still exists today. Um, you can see it with like the art and the covers that they used, and even like the cartoon part at the end um, is very inspired by New Yorker covers um, and those kinds of, of things. It's a world that I'm not an expert in, admittedly. Uh, I don't have a ton of experience with like uh, like higher and more intellectual journalism. Um, it's something actually that this movie is kind of inspiring to look into. And it's something, it's an art form that I will, it still exists, but is maybe a little bit, um, like this is something of a time uh, forgot uh, uh, with some of the things um, that the, like the style of, uh, of the, the writing and everything. Um, what, what do you, let me just start. What do you got to say about the French Dispatch? Uh, I love this. This was so good. This makes me want to uh, catch up on the the few Western Anderson movies I haven't seen. Um, but uh, it it is so fast paced. But it, it I I I say I saw somewhere uh, some people online say that was to the detriment. But I I don't think the I didn't think it was that I didn't think it was that fast paced. I I I, I thought this was my initial thing out of theater was that was a breakneck speed movie. Um, but uh, the there's a lot, and this is not calling myself dumb, but there were a, a lot of big vocabulary in this movie that was talked and said very fast, especially on the second story with Francis McDermott and Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, everyone um, is talking I, quickly, yeah. That I had a hard time keeping up with. I definitely want to see this a second time. Um, I, I think it, it deserves a second watch for sure. Yes, uh, it's easy. It's so easy because it's broken up into the, the major. There's like four mm. or five stories, but it's really three major stories. Um, mm. And uh, you, they're really easy. They're individually easy watches. Um, you could even, I think if you're really into this movie, after a couple watches, you could probably watch it in segments even. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, this this movie really encapsulates um, the '60s. Uh, it is definitely a love letter to France, uh, and and on and that's another thing is it's inspiring to look. I would love to look into more uh, French '60s and '50s French films because they're supposed to be super super uh, innovative and influential, like the stuff that we, that people use today that were established in those times, um, mm. like the French new wave and, um, your Jacques Tati and, and whatnot. And, uh, I think that's something that uh, this movie is definitely inspiring to look into more. Um, like we've, we've seen a couple modern, more modern French films. Uh, and even that, like it's a long tradition of artistic, uh, films coming out of that country and those people. And um, this is certainly a love letter to that uh, as much as it's mm -hmm. the love letter to journalism, uh, intellectual journalism. I don't, and I'm sure there's a better term for that. Um, but, uh, but yeah. So the movie opens uh, with an introduction to a lot of the staff at the French dispatch. There's a really cool, like the opening opening. It's kind of like this MC Escher, like there's a, a server kind of is walking up the outside of this uh, 
like a it looks like an apartment building or something this building and you can see the rooms he's going into and it's it's very stage like it's very i've seen like more complex constructed stages that are trying to give you the sense of different rooms and different places and you can really you know it's one set but you can really do a lot of different shit with it and that's what that kind of felt like um mm -hmm. i loved love the opening um and then just get moving into the um angelica huston's uh narration over the different people that work here um at uh the the dispatch um what did you think about like before we get to the main stories what did you think about like the opening of the setup oh i think it's great i love his like uh what is it dollhouse diorama style of shooting oh there's a lot of miniatures um, in this movie and he's been using miniatures yeah. more and more the last few few films obviously fantastic mm. mr fox is all miniatures yeah. Um, and you can see Isle that what dogs. he's, yeah, an Isle of Dogs. I haven't, that's the only one of his I have not seen yet. Same, um, I haven't seen it. And, uh, but yeah, you can, the miniature, the stuff that he's learned from those films are now being, you can see incorporated in Grand Budapest Hotel, um, mm -hmm. in this as well. But uh, yeah, the, um, the, the opening sequence and everything, it's just, everything he does is so oddly satisfying. Like everything just is so like cohesive and works and smooth uh with the way that the camera works and everything and, and popping into the room and room is just like every i love that every every room almost feels like its own individual disconnected set but it all works cohesively because that's how everything feels in the entire movie um but yeah it's awesome <laughs> Um, yeah, I fucking yeah, loved the aesthetic. And this movie is definitely more on the aesthetic side. Uh, I see, I've heard people describe it as a nothing movie, um, in terms of the content. I, I, I wouldn't, I, I would not say that, especially with the, the first and last story. Um, mm -hmm. that there's a lot of them, it wouldn't be all of them, honestly. There's the interesting stories in all three. Um, but it's more. I will say the style and aesthetic is is definitely the the forefront. I, this is the most Wes Anderson movie Wes Anderson has ever made. I think if you were gonna pitch it to somebody, if they're gonna like it or not, this is the most Wes Anderson. Mm. Definitely agree with that. The um, I feel like the um. I just had it and lost it. Okay, uh, so let's just move on into the beginning part. Um, so Bill Murray is kind of like a, the stern boss, um, and he's kind of trying to wrangle uh, the different uh, the different writers into doing something. And then we we open with a, a article from Owen Wilson's character, uh, who is a bicyclist, and he apparently he writes while he rides. There's a little uh, notepad that is affixed to his bicycle um and it kind of he rides through the city and uh, this is like as an opening sequence uh one of the coolest parts of the movie just with like him doing things in front of a background like he's it's like him riding but it's like a moving background more than him moving mm -hmm. um there's like yeah miniatures and and things and it just looks so fucking cool. It feels so 60s. I mean, like the set construction and like uh, mm -hmm. like how things are made, the practical effects, they even harken back to those times. And I think that's what makes it so even more cohesive is the top to bottom attention to detail to like mm -hmm. how things were made, how things were shot, how things were blocked. Uh, but then like then like with little variations and spins, 
Um, but even the colors, you know, the colors remind mm. go back to '60s films um, where, with first, you know, the first color films um, and stuff like that. Like the way he uses color, I don't know. It's just the the attention to detail is is phenomenal, and it makes this world so immersive and and whatnot. Yeah, it's easy to get sucked into, um, especially the like what you're saying with the colors. He he, Wes Anderson always loves to use pastels. Uh, nothing harsh there's never there's rarely any like harsh direct color in things um and that's just kind of his whole aesthetic and then when you even from how he frames and like composes a shot uh how he staggers the people it's always either very symmetrical or it's always like intentionally leading your eye through and very balanced and and uh, uh it's just so like easy to get sucked in and having said that i you know seeing the the, the cyclist thing opens us up to all the different changes and formats that are going to be used throughout the film when it comes yeah, to you got black yeah. and white cinemascope black and white 169 black and white 4 by 3 then you've got color 4 by 3 color 16 by 9 animation uh the stop motion stuff like it is all over the place and it works not at once so does cohesive. it feel jarring yeah you don't i honestly didn't even notice any like there was like i wouldn't like did the aspect ratio just change like has it always yep. been like this <clears throat> and I, I didn't even notice because i could i like i was so immersed that i didn't really realize when when things would change like that other than the color mm -hmm. um and the animation you know, like when something would be animated but uh um yeah this is uh, a quite the ensemble. Uh, quite the performances are, are great, but they're very in line with the Wes Anderson style. It's very dry. Mm. Um, it's very quick and direct, um, and uh, it's yeah, it's very in line with all that. But it's it's it works so fucking well. Um, mm. Man, oh, it's so good. smooth as eggs. Um, so after the uh, the the Owen Wilson sequence, which I would say is honestly, as much as it is a really great opener, it is the weakest of the of the mm. four stories. Um, the first story is about um, uh, the first story. Benicio del Toro. Yeah, Benicio del Toro is a prisoner, and he is a, a painter. He's an artist, and. Um, his prison guard is his nude model and that is the their interesting dynamic and then we find out about you know an art dealer that is in the prison who wants to invest in Benicio del Toro and and make him uh, a successful artist once he gets out um ah uh, yeah this was fantastic i was super uh surprised at the nudity uh, uh in this section yeah um uh not even just the model like i was fine with the model and i just was like where are they going with this and and what are they doing and uh but then but uh the interspersed throughout we get these um lectures uh they very much look like an old documentary uh, or like old educational film of someone giving a lecture and she's th um, going through slides and like ran mm. randomly halfway through the slides, we just see Tilda Swinton naked. Um, <laughs> and she's like, oh, that's me. And she like kind of like, waits a second and then it cuts. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, yeah, so she's just like, well, that's not supposed to be there. And then lets it sit and then she clicks the slide away and just continues talking like if it was never there. And I, I thought that was so funny. <laughs> yeah, and maybe it was like the '60s were another another time. You know, it was a bit for more freer uh, in, in some of those <laughs> regards. Um, it'd be like, but I could see that happening on somebody doing a uh, PowerPoint. Usually, there's always the um, when I was in college, and you had to access your email to get um, 
to you're you had to plug your computer into the the projector or whatever that there was going to be some kind of like porn in your email or like some kind of weird porn email or something um and uh that there everyone was going to see when it was big on the screen i think i had a friend who literally had porn play in front of a class before um so that 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 is very real but uh but yeah the, it was i just was very surprised by it and then there wasn't any more really uh, heavy sexuality through the rest of the film. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's a super interesting story. And Bernicio del Toro's performance is always great. He's always been one of my favorite actors. Um, he kills it and everything. Um, but he's just like this very, he, he's man of few words and he's kind of like suicidal, but he's kind of like a little cheeky also. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, what do you, what do you think about this first story? I love it. I think this is the this is my second favorite uh, behind the last story. Um, but the uh, my my biggest thing about this is the dialogue, uh, the dynamic between Benicio del Toro and Adrian Brody, because it's just like the one is just a bulldozer who's just gonna do whatever he says regardless of what Benicio del Toro says, and then Benicio del Toro just ends up being this like, oh, well, I guess I I got nothing else to do and I'm locked up in here anyways. I'm- you know do do the art shit and uh when they have that like big fight scene towards the end of the story um where they're just going at it and he's in a Benicio del Toro is in the wheelchair chasing after him it was so funny um I always he does the, the Benicio del Toro that is he does the deep gravelly voice so well I was watching an interview with him uh yesterday and he just his normal speaking voice is way higher pitched and in like it's uh it's not it just it was uh, distracting trying to watch him talk about the movie but uh oh and adrian brody's performance is amazing in it's this so section. good i will actually say that he is the best out of everybody in this in this section i don't think he's the best in the movie but to a point he was the best in the movie and i'm not going to spoil who ends up being my mvp my acting mvp <laughs> Uh, but he was the the front runner for most of the season. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, what do you? Well, how do you feel about him? He's oh, I think he's great. I love I love the the banter that he does. He just uh, it's it's gonna be this. It's gonna be that. It's gonna be this. Yeah, whatever. What? I'm taking like he's getting what he wants, and it's just like um, he fits in so well with just the whole thing. And whenever whenever they have the scene where they bring in all the art, like. Um, when he's talking to his uncles and stuff about selling all the paintings and how people are just going to fight over it all around the world. And then they have that sequence that they show with it. It's just so good. He sells it so well. Like he's, he's the perfect voice for like the art dealer. Um, the, uh, the, the uncles are played by Henry Winkler and Bob Balaban. <laughs> um, it's long time, long time actors. Um, and yeah, this is great. They're great. Uh, it's so funny the the scene once they reveal the reveal the all the paint that he painted his big debut is on the wall actually painted to the wall or frescoes and uh it's like i can't sell this what am i gonna do with this and he starts freaking out and uh when there's like a a following like there's like this art gang in the city that is that is Mm -hmm. like like uh they're like followers like of uh benicio del toro's character um, it's yeah. really funny and it works really well. Um, and, uh, yeah, Lena Seydoux is play has this like subtle performance. You kind of don't really get a read on her. She's like sexually attracted to Benicio del Toro, but then they don't, but she doesn't love him. And then 
they just turn the the relationship kind of just turns into she is his muse and uh is like you know manager uh with from within the walls you know kind of keeps him uh working and uh and it, it inspires him um and like there was a moment in the beginning where he like tries to like touch her bot in her nude body and she just like slaps his hand out of the way and just makes this noise like uh-uh. and uh and it's really funny uh, she has the power. Like, it, like I think that moment was supposed to demonstrate that she's the one who has the power in this situation. And because we're not even fully sure that she is, we we don't know she's a prison guard. We're literally introduced to her character as the nude model, and mm. uh, then we find out that she's the guard afterwards. And she puts her clothes on, and it's like, oh shit! But then you know she's very, uh, you know, stern and capable while she's on duty, and. Um, I think she gets a bunch of money in the end and, and, uh, and leaves, you know, they go their separate ways. Um, but yeah, loves her. Her performance was very subtle, but I think, um, uh, pivotal for how that whole thing worked and how, and had it in its impact. Yeah. My favorite scene with her is the one where Benito del Toro tries to kill himself in the electric chair. He's just creep screaming, do it. And then she walks in and is just like, is this what you want? And then puts it on for a split second. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. And he's like, no, he kind of regrets it a little bit. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite, while I'm remembering it, one of my favorites, uh, parts of this that I thought was really cool. is how they, they did a flashback with a younger actor who I believe I is the, um, the bellboy from Grand Budapest Hotel. I don't know the actor's name, forgive me. Um, but he plays the younger version of Benicio del Toro, and they show him get through his life all the way to prison, and then we're supposed to jump to the future, to like the future, closer to the present, and instead of like it just like fading or sh- cutting to the other actor, he just like mm-hmm. gets up, and the other actor comes in, and they like change places and like pat each other on the back, like it's like the past welcoming the future or the future welcoming yeah. the past, and I thought that was really really cool because it was long like not long but it was like a minute or two of something that could have been a split second but i feel like it gave it uh it gave it a lot of uh flavor a lot of character i really like that mm, for sure <clears throat> but the how did you feel about uh ma the lady who runs the art gallery in Kansas she was to, funny uh, she was funny and that was our connection to kansas because i didn't i fully didn't understand so apparently the this the french dispatch is just a, a section of uh, a kansas paper right it is the mm-hmm. so like you get this little slice of france um they have like an outpost almost in france to write about this for the people of kansas um to give them the you know their little slice of of europe and whatnot and i um i it was i didn't under fully understand because it, it was just such a silly thing you know like mm. kansas doesn't isn't gonna give a shit about france <laughs> there's like this highly there's just this, you know it's a centra of uh highly cultural people uh and, and learned <laughs> intellectuals um whereas this is very much uh you know intellect and all wes anderson stuff is very um like I wouldn't say that there are movies that have to be viewed by intellectuals or academics, but um, this is—he's obviously had a lot of experience and uh, with that stuff as well. And I mean, upper class stuff I think plays a part as well because you know there's culture. I think that com- that it gets associated with um, with people with money. You know, you have the money to go to school and go to ma- get your master's, get your doctorate, whatever. Mm. Um, 
and also like the artists you had the the a lot of starving artists have rich parents and they're not starving you know uh that sort mm-hmm. of thing um and Wes Anderson plays with all that um uh, and it's a world that um not everybody is familiar with fully but um it's very engrossing it's like i you, you know this but you don't know this world and that's how i always mm-hmm. feel when i watch his stuff and always is inspiring to uh to learn about more things i feel like when i when i leave a wes anderson movie um do you have any any i think we can move on to the next one uh then the second mm-hmm. part is stars timothy chalamet and francis mcdormand uh, and it is about is uh, chronicling a youth movement, and I thought that this one was really cute and clever. Um, it is so accurate to describe youth movements and leftist movements, um, and how that they function and and what they're about, and uh, and how they kind of devolve into factions and fighting, and uh, you end up the 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 movement always ends up killing itself. It's not the it's not the outside. It's not the police and the government that ends up you know dismantling these movements. It's always from within. Um, and uh he's just super super funny i really enjoyed timothy chalamet's performance um usually he comes off very uh i don't wooden isn't a word it wouldn't isn't the word because i don't dislike what he does it's but it's very uh uh he's mostly very subtle and like monotone uh the way he Mm -hmm. delivers lines and even in other films and then he's like these outbursts of emotion he actually does the exact same thing here where he's very uh, but he's like charisma. He has more charisma. Um, and then he has a, that deadpan quick delivery that everybody has. There's like, I can mm-hmm. feel charisma in what he's doing uh, versus other performances of his. This is actually probably my favorite Timothy Chalamet performance, though. I haven't seen Call Me By Your Name, which everybody, um, that's like the the big first Timmy movie. Yeah. Uh, I Where I did not like him as much in Dune, this movie makes me has made me like him as an actor. I I I thought he was great in this. He's real funny, real cheeky, Uh, and him with like the Stone Cold Francis McDermott was an awesome like play. Like she's she's excellent, and she's great in everything. She's Mm -hmm. always great. Um, and she's like a very, she's, so she's an old, you know, she's a rounder, probably playing her age. Um, and, uh, she's a writer and she's single. She doesn't have kids. She's never been married. Um, she kind of is getting the reputation of an old maid. Um, and they like, uh, she's in the beginning. I think she's having dinner with Timothy Chalamet's parents and they're trying to set her up with Christoph Waltz of, uh, which is really funny because he's yeah. always plays a, a awkward goof. Uh, a, a smart but awkward goof in in all of his uh, performances, um, and she doesn't want anything to do with that, and ends up being more interested in the youth movement going on outside and chronicling it, and she ends up sleeping with Timothy Chalamet, who is the leader of the movement, um, and uh, it happens because he wants her to proofread his manifesto, and she ends up rewriting it for him uh from the fucking top to bottom and uh, with an appendix with an appendix and it is uh they bring it up and they use it as a pun uh like the appendix burst or something like that and towards mm-hmm. the end um yeah the appendix thing is really funny uh and then it just like they disseminate the material and they're having their meetings and um there's a younger uh, love interest character for timothy uh, who she always has a um, like a moped helmet on and uh, and she's super cool and hip and um, she's kind of like represents the other perspective in the faction um, 
And yeah, I, I thought this was like a really, uh, it really captured France. And France is really known, Paris, the cities are really known for having strong youth movements about shit um, a lot. And it, I think it gets, I think it was almost to, a, to it, I, this was trying to like parody it. Like they don't even know what they're, they're, they're fucking having a movement about. I think they say at one point yeah. it's like the, to overthrow the neoliberal reactionary thing, like paradigm or something like that. Um, and uh which is you know which is valid but also vague and uh, can be interpreted very ways we don't actually get any uh specifics from the manifestos or anything mm-hmm. like that um i think it's it's very uh accurate to the spirit and passion um youth movements are driven more on passion than they are on substance not always and, and just sometimes and in the colleges and oh this is just super super cool and cute this is probably the cutest of the three uh Mm. stories um yeah i don't know i loved it a lot i loved it a lot what do you got to say about it i uh it's it's my least favorite of the three but that does not mean that it is the worst of the three of them i think the other two are just so good yeah i think like this one is very good too it's just i happen to like the other ones a little more um honestly i don't the... know if i like the last one i th- i like things about the last one the best but I, it's oh, also i love the last one i think there's things I, about it i didn't like as much so like there's like it's at its best and at its worst I think the movie for me in the last section but we'll get to that soon um yeah but, is there, uh, uh, was there anything yeah, i was gonna ahead. Yeah, what I was gonna say was, uh, so I I loved that the the moped girl was just like like if Timothy Chalamet is just like your liberal revolution guy, she's like the like tenth time even harder. She's like he's got posters of his fa- of that tip top band everywhere, and she's like, what the fuck, you taking this down? And he's like, why? Their music's really good, and she's like, because they're they get money from such and such, which is made by corporations, which is made by the government, yep, which is there's awful. always somebody more and pure. Like, <laughs> there's always somebody more pure in a, in a leftist movement. Yeah. And she's just dunking on him for everything. And everyone else is like, what? We like the manifest. What did you like about it? The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Those, all those, when Elmas, I don't, Elmas is a little bit gendered. Like the, there's all these yeah. bros that are like, what, what? He's, this is great. And her and a couple of other girls are like, no, this sucks. Um, yeah, and uh, it's super, super cute. Um, they end up hooking up, and there's this weird thing because it's revealed. Everyone seems to know that Francis McDormand ha- and Timothy Chalamet had sex, and mm-hmm. uh, and the, it's like weirded out by it. But she's like, I like him, and they obviously like each other. And there's like a push to get them together. And she's like, Well, I'm a virgin, and Timothy's like, I'm a virgin too. Well, except for Mrs. Ferments. <laughs> and it's super yeah. funny and they just run they run off together in love and it's it's cute. Um yeah, uh, yeah. I like to play on journalistic integrity. They keep they keep poking at. It was funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, this is great. This is this is a lot of fun. This is probably the most fun um mm-hmm. in the in the film. Um but yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I- How'd you feel about the chess revolution where the mayor's office uh, is playing? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're trying to settle it over chess. Yeah, they're trying to settle it over chess. (laughs) And if he lost, they were going to like have to disperse or something. And they kind of, well, then that's the thing I I said in the beginning is it it then just devolves into them fighting with each other and then they give up and it's over. Um, The police Mm. like show up and break it up and that's that. Rest in peace, Timothy Chalamet (laughs) at the end. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he dies trying to climb the radio tower. Yeah, to he dies. It. Yep, he dies trying to climb the radio tower for the revolution because he's trying to give his like his big man of. Uh, he's reading the revisions to the manifesto. I think is what it was. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it's great. Um, so the th- let's. I'm ready to talk about the third part. The third part, um, which is helmed by Jeffrey Wright, who is uh, became one of my favorite ra- actors over the last like five six years um honestly wasn't mm. i've probably seen him in things before but i wasn't really even aware of him and then i saw him in one of the hunger like the hunger game sequel and then i saw him in westworld the tv show yeah. and he is excellent on westworld and then i just started noticing that like he's been in shit for years i have the uh um they did a biopic uh biopic about uh basquiat the artist in the 90s and jeffrey wright plays basquiat and it was like a pretty big movie um, I seen him and I see him in other things all the time. I'm like, oh my god, you're right. Uh, but this, his performance, he's the MVP of the movie. Oh, he hands down. wins the MVP of the movie. He's so fucking good. I was surprised Lee Shriver was in this movie. I would never. I, th- I did not expect to see him in a Wes Anderson film for some reason. Um, but good for him. Real quick, I thought you were gonna say for your MVP. My, I was hoping you were gonna say the chef. <laughs> oh my god steven park is all yeah. we're, i want to talk about him uh because i looked into him i thought i was like this guy looks so familiar but also i can't think of him from anything i'm gonna get to him when we talk about his part but man he's probably the number three he has a small part but he's he has such a big ass impact um probably one of the best parts in the film uh, mm. And we're just laughing through the end laughing through the end because all the shit he's saying <laughs> Um, but, uh, so the setup of this one is that Jeffrey Wright is, uh, is a writer. Uh, he's gay. They kind of reveal it subtly and it's really funny the way that they do it. Cause he's like, uh, he's a lacking skill in cartography. It's a, like a defining trait of a homo- of homosexuals. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, lo- just showing him like lost in this building. He doesn't know where to go. Oh, so good. <laughs> and like uh I, I wasn't sure if the the Leave Schreiber talk show was supposed to be how far and if that's supposed to be in the seventies. I was trying to notice the fashion and, and like obviously some time had passed from when mm-hmm. we see him in like the sixties outfit and he looks more you know, he's got like the more uh like the pompadour and whatnot. Um mm-hmm. So I wasn't I wasn't sure if that how much time was supposed to pass between but he even had more lines on his face um and whatnot. But yeah, uh, they they made him look super young in the flashback stuff. Like he looked like a good twenty years younger in that stuff. Well, I wasn't sure if they made him look older for the for the one part or younger for the other part. It, well, he and obviously he's always he mostly has a beard and like everything he does. Mm-hmm. So it was weird to see him, you know, clean shaven and yeah, mm-hmm. very much young. Made him look a lot younger. I think he's in his fifties or early fifties, I think, or maybe even late forties. But, uh, but yeah, excellent. And we, he gets, uh, he gets arrested somehow. How I forget. How does he get, end up in jail that Bill Murray, uh, bails him out. I also cannot remember. So much happens in this sequence. Um, but he meets Bill. That's how he meets Bill Murray and gets the job opportunity that kicks off the story, though. Um, yeah, yeah. So he ends up getting offered a job um, because he apparently he was sending writing samples to uh, his name. His character's name is Roebuck Wright, 
uh, with same last name. Uh, he's supposed to be a food journalist, um, and he, he's been sending writing samples uh, to Bill Murray's character. Um, but Bill Murray, for some reason, didn't you know like him or what like it or whatever. And then he actually um, he goes, "Con, oh, I know what happened. He Jeffrey Wright had Bill Murray's information somehow that mm. if he was ever in." In Ennui, which is the name of this fictional France town, uh, mm. it, to look him up. So he does when he needs. He had no one to help him get out of prison, so he yeah. calls Bill Murray, and uh, and Bill Murray, um, you know, uh, uh, boosts him out and gives him a job. And he tells him what to write about, or he gives him a book. He's like, I need this book reviewed, whatever. Um, and then that's like, I guess it's supposed to be the origin story about how he got the job. Mm-hmm. And then we yeah. learn, and then we learn about his, um, his, the story that he's, he writes about, um, about his, he attended a private dinner with the commissaire of the Ennui police force. And, uh, and that's how we learn about that. I kept reading it as commissioner, but I think it's, it's the same thing. Commissaire. Oh well, yeah. Yeah. That's a different. Uh, pro- I don't know if it means exactly the same thing, but it's, it's pretty much the same title. Oh, chief, yeah, well, here, the uh, chief. On the Wikipedia article, it's, it, it refers to the sequence as the private dining room of the police commissioner. So I guess that, that would be the same then. Yeah, I guess so. Because uh, it, But it says, comm- I'm looking at the same thing, and it says commissaire in the actual text. Um, mm. That's probably just what the translation is. <clears throat> but yeah. So what's up with it? I just I kept reading it as that because I'm, I'm, I'm me, and I, <laughs> I kept just uh, correcting the the French words for some reason. Um, that was it. But I love this whole thing though. This is what I referred to in my notes. I wrote down uh, that this is uh, Wes Anderson unleashed, like completely unhinged off the Wes Anderson off the rails. Is what this whole third story is, and well, yeah, I'm well, here for every Yeah, why do you say that? Why do you say that? Because this this whole thing moves like a mile a minute. It's some of the best of the set design stuff with the chef. Uh, it when it's just ridiculous. Um, especially when you have the one where all the ducks hanging up and there's three of the chef all doing the things at once. I thought it was super cool looking. Uh, and then it, the story just gets ridiculous and more ridiculous. And then you've got like uh. In the one chase thing, which we'll get into, where, where the wrestler guy with the wrestling belt—he's like the strong man. Yeah, he's like the <laughs> yeah. local strong man. Yeah, there's the one shot where everyone is getting shot at back and forth, and he's just sitting there bored, just like waiting for. His yeah, time. So, well, that's when they said that they were gonna. I, we, we, let's set up, explain why that this this is it's even so good. Thing. Oh, it's so good. So we'll explain why. Okay, so. The uh, so uh, Jeffrey Wright, Roebuck Wright, uh, he gets to the dinner with the police commissioner and uh, to write an article about the chef. And the chef is Stephen Park, who is just just like he's a police lieutenant, but he's also like a world renowned chef, I guess. And in the middle of the dinner, uh, Edward Norton calls and the commissioner is like, hey, I have I kidnapped your kid. And then so the entire dinner just stops and everyone just uh, all hands on deck to find the kid. And they find him in this building, and uh, and they they call in everybody for this. And one of the people is just a generic strong man, wearing wearing like the um, 
Yeah, well, they, there's like this list of all the shit that they need and all the, the for this yeah. team, this super team. And yeah, there's a. I like honestly don't remember any. It was all you know pretty normal stuff. And then yeah, you guys yeah. Like, we better call the we better tell the local strongman to limber up just in case. Like that was the quote <laughs> to limber up, and it just like shows them like stretching or something, like doing a little, yeah. little warm up. And I'm just like, what the fuck is that guy gonna do? Um, oh, okay. And apparently he did a, a decent amount. Um, but uh, so yeah, the commissioner's son gets kidnapped, and we find we also learn his name is Gigi, and he's very intelligent, and he's like all mm. super into policing. Like he's like we see him carrying a case of cold cases or uh, mm. uh, like a box of cold cases, and he's gonna try to. Him and his buddies are just looking at him, and he's he's he knows Morse code and um just smart weird kids is definitely a thing uh in Wes Anderson movies, and he's really mm. funny and adorable. Um, and, uh, so he gets kidnapped and they're putting the team together to find him and he's kidnapped by Edward Norton. Um, and, um, I can never say her, her name right, but, uh, sorry, sorry, uh, Ronan who's Ladybird. She's the girl who plays Ladybird and Ladybird. Um, she was one of the like prostitutes that was, wa- she was the one that was watching him and talking to the little boy. Um, and it was fine. She wasn't in it very much, but she was cool. Um, Edward Norton Saint was was funny, um, mm. but it was all fine, you know, nothing crazy. And eventually they give they, they bust in, and they you know uh, there's this big long chase. But oh yeah, they send in the chef. That's what happened. Yeah, he he, po- he poisons everybody. They're like our boy is hungry. He needs a snack. Um, so Kimbo is it all great? We send in a chef to make a you know meal for all of you, and he does. And you know Edward Norton's like you got to eat it first because it could be poisoned. And the chef does eats one of everything, and uh, it's revealed pretty much after it pretty much immediately after that. Yes, it was poisoned, um, and uh, he just ate it on purpose. And but we'll come back to that late. We we come back to that later, and then uh, we find out Edward Norton didn't eat it, and that he takes the kid, and and there's this big chase. That's when uh, there's a shootout right before that, um, but then there's a big chase, and uh, there's the the chief, the commissioner, and the, like our main group of people all get in a car and chase after him. And the strong man we see um, <laughs> run and jump onto the front of the car as it drives away. This is when the, it turns into an animated. The whole chase is animated, and I wanted to ask you about this because I thought that this was the one thing for me that didn't work in the whole movie. I thought that I thought that it was obvious that this was being done because they didn't have the money to actually shoot a full chase, and uh, mm-hmm. I didn't hate it. It was fine. Like it looked, the animation was cool and whatever. Kind of remind me of not, not the style of the animation, but maybe the tempo and the way that like, the sound was. It reminded me of Monty mm-hmm. Python animations. Um, yeah, yeah. Not yeah, like I said, not the way it looked, but more like yeah, like the running and the chasing and the. You just see like mm-hmm. little things running across the screen, um, and uh, and like the strong man was probably the best part of it because there's a uh, a part where the str- the car like stops <laughs> and the strong man flies into this window and then like there's a little scene that happens and then after like a five minute scene and then they get back in the car and the strong man jumps out of the window and jumps back onto the car <laughs> like he was supposed to be there. Um, it was really funny, really cute. Um, so that was that was the the best part of it uh, for me. But that was probably the only thing in the whole movie that didn't work for me. 
Interesting. I, I can see how it doesn't, but it worked for me just because it, it kept the chaotic feel still of everything that pre- preceded it. It took some um, of the energy out of it for me. But I, I, that's what it was. I, my I can issue. see that. It was my issue. Is like the energy felt like it, it took some of the air out of it. Um, it wasn't bad. It didn't ruin it, but it, I felt like if they had would have had the money to fully shoot it, like they've been shooting all these other mm-hmm. things in the movie, I think it would have been much better. I can see that. I um, I think I was just riding on the high of just how ridiculous the like the last sequence going into the sequence was, and, and that just rode me out through the animated sequence of just like this is a ride, and I'm a hundred percent here for it. Um, I liked it. It was just silly. It's just been and. It does, with you saying the Monty Python thing, it definitely feels like that in in the pacing and the sound design for sure. Yeah, just the Um, pacing and sound design. And like, you just like the big, or see like a big, um, not landscape, but the background is uh, like, there's a big mm -hmm. area like zoomed out enough that you can see them like move all around on it. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the, well, Monty Python is also, I guess it's more, maybe more 70s, but it starts in the late 60s. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, other than that, loved it. Loved it. I think that, that I think I just have that sequence more stuck in my mind when I think about that part. So it wasn't, Mm -hmm. that's like my big mark on the movie. Um, but I think it finishes strong though. Yes. Because afterwards we get our, our big scene with Stephen Park, the chef. And uh, and he says some hilarious shit. Something like they're like talking about how he was brave for doing that, and he's like, honestly, I didn't really want to do it, but I did it because, uh, <laughs> like, what well, I don't remember what he said. It was something like he said he did it to save the kid. Yeah, but he he's like he did it because he wasn't because he was brave, just because he felt like he had to, or yeah, or, or something like that. It was I don't remember the line exactly, but it was really funny, and it cra- I was cracking up. He follows it up with the, uh, like, this is going to sound terrible, but the best part about this was that the poison tasted something I had never tasted before. Yeah, yeah. It was a taste I never tasted before. Um, It just went off about how, how, like, life-changing that was. He's like, I thought I tasted everything. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) that could just see him dying of poison overdoses in the future as he expands his palate even further. Um. Yeah, hmm. hilarious. That was a great, hilarious moment to finish it on. Uh, great hmm. character. He didn't die. Um, just, just good. So, if I told you that Stephen Park, this is not his first Best Boys film with us, what, uh, what would you say to that? I, don't, I don't go googling. That. Don't go googling. I'm not. I'm not I'm I saw not you googling. grab that mouse out of reflex. I was going to. I was gonna. I was gonna. Pull up his Wikipedia, but I'm I don't I believe it. I I can't think of what he was in that we saw. Maybe Blade Runner. Maybe yeah. I'll give you a couple get take a couple guesses. And I'll, Either I'll... I'm gonna say Blade Runner 2049 no. or is this something recent that we saw? I'll give you three guesses. You already got one. Um, the well. only guy. I mean, I guess it's 40, 45 movies you got to choose from. Jeez. Um. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I can't even think. He was the grocery store owner It Do the Right Thing. No way. Yeah, he's very he was young man. He was young. 
Wow. I, I just go- I googled it and looked up a picture and I'm like, man, that is him. So he has been acting for a long ass time. Um and but his Wikipedia is very thin. It's very little and it's crazy for how much he's worked. He's he was a cast member on In Living Color. He uh was in Do the Right Thing, Fargo, Snow Piercer, French Dispatch, um, Kindergarten Cop, uh Jesus. Kajillionaire, which I wanted to see. Um, a lot of TV acting as well. Um, but yeah, ton of stuff. But also, he's like, you know, he should, this guy should be a household name. Love him. I want to see more Stephen Park. Yeah, I'd be down. He was so good at this. Was, he didn't yeah. even have that many lines, but just everything he said was just so funny. He, just his whole demeanor and his, uh, his like wardrobe and everything. He's just, it was so funny man but uh um, so yeah what uh you got any last things to say before we score this beast what i'm gonna say is so the movie ends with just them finalizing talking over like the obituary stuff oh yeah for... bill murray dies in the end yeah it's very like not like not a, they don't you're not even sh- obvious it's bill murray until they pull the sheet off of him and they explain why the body's still in the office because the morgue is like busy or closed the day or something and uh, and then they all kind of like talk about him and um, there's this rule of no crying in Bill Murray's office and um, Elizabeth uh, Moss starts crying in the end and everyone's like no crying and that's kind of like what it ends on. Oh no, it ends on Jeffrey Wright writing the obituary. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's really it was a really cute scene. Um, it was a good ending. It wasn't like a big grand thing. It was just a nice way to put a bow on this whole thing, you know. Yeah, I, I think that the as a whole, these the way that they structure the things outside of the short stories worked to keep it as one self-contained thing. Um, like I, I saw some, somebody online said this was all style, no substance, and I couldn't disagree more. Uh, yeah, that's why I was saying that like, people are calling it a nothing movie. Like it was all style and it's like not about anything. But I, I don't, I don't think that it's fun. No, but. It's- it's yeah it's the middle like the each story is definitely about something hmm but even as a whole though it's still you could it's uh you know it's the the last dying wish of the thing of uh, bill murray's characters to you know end the magazine with him and pull three of the stories from the past and the like these are the stories that they picked and these are the reasons why it shows you like the interactions with bill murray and the writer and how they like how they had interaction and stuff was i definitely like there was a whole heart to this movie that was riddled through it that i just i don't i don't know how you miss oh uh, yeah i think this, this is fast. this is art at high level in my opinion um mm. this is definitely uh one of the one this is, might be one of my favorite wes anderson movies it's maybe less personal um so if that's important to you i could see that being a reason why it doesn't connect uh, but mm. as far as um, just a, a well, amazingly well-made film, um, that is this. Love the French Dispatch. What are you scoring it? I'm I'm torn between a four and a half and a, and uh, and a four. I feel like I so should give I. it a, a four and a half. But I was a lot of the movie. I had a very hard time keeping up with. Um, with how fast like the things were being spoken and the narration and stuff. And it was a lot of big words, but I don't, I think it's a, after the second time I watch it and I get everything that yeah, definitely solid four and a half. Uh, yeah. I'm giving it a four and a half. 
It's so I was, good. It I debated it, but yeah, four and a half. I think the only thing that knocks it down for me is the animated sequence, but it was still cool. Um, where do you uh, where do you sit this in in his filmography? I so I I put it near the near the top for me. I I think I have an atypical um, list for him. Uh, some of my favorites are probably more. Um, I like the Royal Tenenbaums. I like Moonrise Kingdom a lot. Um, I like Grand Budapest Hotel a lot. Um, oh, I wanted to say this about Stephen Park. So this is just for you, Corey. This is uh, this is niche niche casting, but the character of Mike Soriyama in the Venture Brothers is voiced by Stephen Park. No way! I know you know who I'm talking about because he's yeah, even though he's only in a couple episodes. Yeah. We love that fucking show. It's that's the guy that they got to smoke oregano and he's allergic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rusty's roommate. Yeah, college roommate. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, who's in love oh, with Leslie? Good. The Leslie bots. Yeah. But, uh, Leslie. but yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Um, that is nuts. I don't remember what we were talking about before I needed oh, to say where, that. Where All right, where I rank this? Um, let me hold on. I need to see. You tell me about yours while I look up his filmography real quick. Well, for the, for the longest time, Life Aquatic of Steve Zizou was my favorite. Yeah. There's something about that movie is just everything about it is satisfying to watch and, and just really good. Um, I did really like Grand Budapest Hotel. I did like um, Rushmore is really good. Rushmore and... used to be one of my favorites. <clears throat> But I think this is for style. I know I, we just said style over substance, blah blah blah. But because of how like style this is and how much I was into this, this is up there with Life Aquatic for me. I'd say this is top three, at least. Yeah, I think <laughs> so really too. Good. I think so too. I think I like. I think I really like Brushmore. <laughs> I really like uh, Life Aquatic. I like. I love them all except for like uh, Darjeeling Limited. I didn't like as much, but people act like that one's super underrated. Um, I remember when that came out. A lot of people said it wasn't good, and I I've never seen it, so I can't. Give it's it just di- it's different than his. It's probably one of the less less An- the Wes Anderson feeling ones, but it's got all the actors. It's Adrian Brody, Jason Schwartzman, and a Wilson brother. I forget which mm-hmm. one. I think it's Owen. I think it's Owen. Oh, that's his preferred mm-hmm. Wilson. Um, the um, I I've never seen Fantastic Mr. Fox or Do- uh, Isle of Dogs either. Fantastic Mr. Fox is um, excellent. It's a kid. It's a family film, but it's excellent. And Bottle Rocket I saw last year for the first time, and it's good. It wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be though. I think it put it on a pedestal. Um, but I, it's is that, is that older or newer? That's his first uh, film, Bottle Rocket. Oh, I thought I thought Rushmore was no, no. Bottle Rocket is. Gotcha. It's and that's with uh, the oh the Wilson brothers. That's their debut also. Oh wow! Both of them. Um, but all right, I think that wraps it up for us. Um, the, this was a great episode. Um, next week we have a very interesting episode. We have our first superhero film, right? Yeah, yeah, with the Eternals. And um, honestly, that was just going to give me an excuse to watch Nomadland, both directed by uh, Chloe Zhao. Um, that uh, I've wanted to see for since it's come out. So uh, mm-hmm. I guess last year is when it was, came out, but I haven't seen it yet. I really want to. Um, so this is a good excuse to, to watch a Marvel movie with uh, on the podcast. I hear it's. I hear uh, some mixed things about it. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I as as far as 
should we be caught up with the MCU before we watch this movie? Obviously, for best movies, we have to review this as a film by itself without its connection yeah. to anything else. Um, mm. That's what we do here. But um, I, I'm not. I haven't seen the shows, and I'm not gonna. I can't watch the shows. Oh, I haven't seen week. the shows. Yeah, They're supposed I to be good. I don't, yeah, supposed to be I've heard better this. than the last few movies. But I haven't seen either. I haven't seen Shang Chi. I haven't seen Captain Marvel. I haven't seen uh, Black Widow. I've I've seen Captain Marvel. I haven't seen Shang Chi uh, or Black Widow, but I the last one I saw was Spider Man Far From Home, which was really good. Oh, and that one um, I haven't seen either. Yeah, um, I'd watch that one. That one's really good. Um, but the, I mean, I, don't, I doubt that any of it's essential for this one. Uh, it seems I like as it. long as you're caught. It seems like as long as you're caught up through Endgame, like Infinity War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you're fine. Um, but I might try to watch a couple, uh, this week just to, to catch, I, I've been needing an excuse to catch up. Um, I think mm. the shows have slow, like became intimidating and then I didn't want to keep going. I want to watch those shows cause I hear they're actually been, like I said, better than the last few films. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, I'd like to yeah. see Loki. I heard Loki's the best of them. I heard all, I heard all three um, of them though are solid. Uh, not, the, I heard that- not what if, but I heard the other three are good. Yeah, I heard that Wanda. It, I saw the first episode of WandaVision, and it was it was all right. It was good, uh, but I heard that uh, like after halfway through the season, it it gets not as good. Um, but I've heard that Loki was good, and I heard that I've actually not heard anything about Falcon and the Winter Soldier from anybody. I heard. It, but, I think I heard it was all right, but it was the weakest of the three. Yeah, I um, can see that. Um, but all right, but all right, all right, that's enough more. Well, I was gonna say, You're I've seen off. Nomadland. Okay, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I've seen Nomadland when it came out last year. Uh, Kylie fell asleep. Chris, at, at with twenty minutes left, said, "If you guys want to turn this off, I totally understand." Because he was the one that wanted to see it. He's a big Francis McDermott fan, and uh, and I was the only one in the room that was like, "Oh, this is like this is super awesome. It's slow. Like it is. It is." What's it? Chris uh, didn't even like it. He wanted to watch it. Uh, yeah, he ended up thinking it was kind of boring. Um, I I thought it was good. Burn. It's it's yeah, it, it is very slow burn, but it's like it's like part biopic or biopic part like like it's all entirely scripted, but it's like the way it's, it's based shot on is a book. Part, um, based on a biop- nonfiction book. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and that's where you get the stuff because like all the, I guess all the stuff with the um in the camps where all the trailer people or the intent people live are uh, like that all that stuff's real. Uh, and they just like got her Francis McDormand's like interactions with those people and stuff with just like a few scripted lines, but then uh, but the majority of it is scripted. Um, I'm very based on seeing that and what the reviews for Eternals say. I wonder if it's just like it's 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 Nomadland, but Eternals, and that's why it's not registering well is because people wanted a superhero movie, slow. not a not a dr- slow drama. Yeah, I'm really that's what made me interested hmm. in it because. Um... I've seen, like I said, I've seen all the Marvels up to that point I mentioned, and like Thor: The Dark World is being the worst one. It's still a was still a mostly watchable film to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, sorry if you just treat it like a shitty, like a you know Doctor Who episode or something. Oh yeah. my God, I forgot to make this connection earlier. But last night and so it just felt like a two part Doctor Who episode to me. Like in terms of like the mon- the way the monsters looked and everything, like mm-hmm. very high like high budget Doctor Who episode. Um, sorry. Interesting. I can see that. I've only seen it. Maybe a just because Matt Who, Smith. But... It's probably just because Matt Smith yeah. and everyone's British. So, um, but yeah. But all right, there you have it. There you have it. Um, we are ready for next week. 
And uh, you Normos out there can tune in because we got Marvel on the docket. So tell your Normo friends and and uh, and uh, that was my my and, territory now. Yeah, indoctrinate. We can indoctrinate them. Um, but all right, yeah, you you guys have a good one. All right, see you, everybody. Bye.